You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. Are we living lives that really make a difference for good? And do you feel that you have the power to achieve significant things for God? So today I'm going to ask you to make three promises to God based on our text. It's up to you. If you do them, some of you may have already made one or two or maybe all three of these promises. But this is that you can make sure when you die, your life was significant. A life worth living. (laughs) You know, sometimes our passions, the things that add fire and fun to our lives, aren't all that significant. Winning the NBA championship, like we have all these teams fighting to do right now, well, that's pretty cool, and they like to see who has the most rings, Michael Jordan or LeBron or who, whatever. And yet, on the day of judgment, does that really amount to anything? Don't let your passions make a fool of you. Like these goats found in Morocco. They climb argon trees to search for their favorite food, the argon berries. I I could hardly believe that they do this, but they love argon berries so much that they climb argon trees. (laughs) This is what they're after. I don't think it's worth that much, but uh, doesn't that guy look intelligent? Not really, you know, whatever, but... I bet you couldn't climb a tree if you had hooves. It's this passion for the argon berries that make them go up there. And there's only so many goats that will fit in one tree. So they got to line up and try and get there. But it's a crowd. Don't let your passion make you look ridiculous. The things that you give your life to that make you feel like a million dollars. What I'd like you to think about today is putting Jesus first and finding a passion that will last forever. Those of you who know me know that one of my passions is mountains. This is the Matterhorn called by many people the perfect mountain. It's in Switzerland. It's in the Alps. They they haven't seen the mission, so they wouldn't call that the perfect mountain. But when I first saw a picture of that in my freshman year of college at a bookstore, I thought, oh my word, that's amazing. I would love to climb that mountain sometime, but it looks really hard, and I don't know. Uh, God gives us passions, and a number of years ago, on my way back from a mission trip to Romania, I stopped in Switzerland, and I got to climb the Matterhorn. This is where you start. You spend the night, the night before, in a hut. And this is such a popular mountain. Alpinists from all over the world come. And you climb right up that ridge that's facing you in the middle, and you get just, you cross over to the snow on the very top before you get to that vertical face. And so this is me the first day. Well, this is a a guy right behind me. 
the first day. And the hut's down below there as you follow that ridge to the top. This is me moments from the summit. And you can see those little green lakes, bluish green lakes beside me, one mile below me. And I got to climb it by God's grace. And this is the view the next morning as I left the hut, colored with the red of the morning sunrise. But mountains, what does that matter on the day of judgment? We can have our passions as long as they are subdued to our greatest passion, Jesus Christ. And I pray that if Jesus is not your number one passion today, that you might accept these three promises. If you want me to send you a copy of it, uh, I'll send you that. Just let me know. John knows how to get a hold of me. The first promise that you would make is that you're going to read the whole Bible every year the rest of your life. Well, that'll take 20 or 30 minutes a day. Uh, but if you have a passion for it, I know people that on their phone play chess every spare moment or some other silly game. It, it's, it's like an addiction. Would you say it's so important for me to hear the voice of God that 20 or 30 minutes every day you'd read the whole, you'd get through the whole Bible every year, three and a half chapters a day, working through the books. The second promise is just, it doesn't take 20 or 30 minutes. It takes 10 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, but this is a game changer. If you'd say, oh God, please give me somebody I can tell about you today. That's so easy to do. And I bet if you ask God that, he would do that every day because since I've done this every day, there's somebody. Sometimes he doesn't send them to me. He says, get off your duff. You go look for them. You go over, find them. And the third promise is I take the Great Commission seriously. Lord, if I share with somebody and they accept you, I'll do what you said in the Great Commission. I'll baptize them, and I will teach them to obey all that you've commanded. This comes from our scripture text in Exodus, chapter 3, verses 18 through 17. And we'll have to show how that happens. But I want you to notice that we're starting right in the middle. Moses is talking to God, but he doesn't see God. He sees a, bur a bush on fire. He sees a burning bush. So I want us to think about this. Think all the way through we're reading this. Moses is talking to a bush on fire, and the bush is not disappearing. It's not being consumed. I would remember that conversation. Let's read the word of the Lord. Right. Exodus chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, 17. An encounter that gave Moses a life of power and significance. The Lord says, The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Israel of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand 
compels him. Sounds like our country. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people. So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask of her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and your daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Sounds pretty good. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? complainer. But the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran away from it, which I would do too. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Isn't that nice that he said, take it by the tail? Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand into your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, it was leprous, like snow, skin flaking off, blood oozing. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue complainer. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone, anyone else. The Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak well, and he is already on his way to meet you. And his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak, and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. 
I'd like to study this scripture, that burning bush episode, in two phases. Number one, face the fire. And number two, free the people. Let's start with number one, face the fire. Everywhere you look in Scripture, you see this very same pattern. Meet with God, like Moses is doing here, facing the fire. Walk with God, and then do mighty deeds to bless people, to set people free. That's what we are all called to do and be. And for Moses on this day, meeting with God meant facing the fire. Is it any wonder if you read through the Old Testament and if you take the first promise and you've never done it before, you'll do it this year. Over and over again, when Moses talks about God, he describes him as a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Exodus 24, 17 describes God, the glory of God, as like a consuming fire. You've had fire, forest fires around here. You understand a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, Yahweh our God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 9.3 says, Our God crossing the Jordan before us is a consuming fire to destroy your enemies. Not you, but to destroy your enemies before you. When the priests began their ministry in the tabernacle, they didn't have to light a fire to burn the sacrifices. The scripture tells us, Leviticus 9.24, fire blazed out from God and burned up the sacrifices. And when the people saw this, they cried out and they fell on their faces before God. Our God is a consuming fire. Yet, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, when God came down with thunder and lightning and fire on the top of the mountain. So if you go over to Sinai and you look at Mount Sinai, the whole top of it is black, burned to this day. A mark that we can know. Moses went up with that consuming fire. And he was with God, facing the fire for 40 days and 40 nights. With a consuming fire? He didn't eat any food or drink any water the whole 40 days. God gave him everything. That's not a consuming fire. That's a nurturing fire. But he's the consuming fire. In God's presence, like when you open up to his word and say, Lord, just teach me. Just teach me. I need you. In God's presence, Moses gained power and wisdom for a mighty act of freeing people. He came down with the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law of God. Isaiah 33, 14 is interesting. It says, the sinners, the sinners, the sinners are terrified and cry out, who can live with the consuming fire? Amen. But the next verses 
Go on to tell exactly what kind of people can live with the consuming fire and not be consumed, just like that bush. On fire, testifying, God is here. And he's talking to Moses. And the bush was never burned up, but became a glorious witness. We see this pattern over and over again throughout the Bible. Face the fire. Meet God. And he will make you mighty on the earth to live a life of eternal significance. Look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel 3, verses 1 to 4, God appears to him. Look at this consuming fire. And he says, eat this scroll. His word. When you open up your Bible every day and you start reading, you're eating the scroll. You're getting God's word inside you. In chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Son of man, I have made you a sentinel. You guys know what a sentinel is? It's a lookout. It's a watchman. It's a guard. He says, I have made you a sentinel for the house of Israel. Therefore, face the fire, hear a word from my mouth and free the people. Give them warning from me. But it all starts with that first promise that every day you're going to let him speak. By the way, I got to climb my first Montana mountain yesterday uh, with Carol Larson. Followed her all the way up to the top. Uh, if you want to get embarrassed, go hiking with Carol, and she'll uh, show you you need to work a little harder. It was, you go up to the M in Missoula, uh, behind the university, and then you go to the top, and that's Mount Sentinel. And I'd never climbed that before, so I was getting ready for the sermon climbing Mount Sentinel. And of course, the Nebraska Christian College were the Sentinels, based on this scripture. Hear a word from the Lord and give a warning. This pattern is throughout the scripture. This is a, a picture from Albrecht Durer, a Renaissance artist, from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 to 11, where he's told the same thing. And there's a scroll in the hand of this mighty angel. And the angel says, eat this scroll. Just like Ezekiel was told. Just like you've been told. Eat this every day. It's nutritious. He says, eat this scroll and go and warn the nations. Amen. The same thing, Jesus told his disciples, come, follow me, face the fire. He hid his fire, but he was terrifying. He drove out demons with a word. He had the power that they were afraid of him when he called the sea. They said, who is this? Face the fire. Be with him. Hear his word. Follow me. And he says, you will free the people. Well, let's look at that second part of the, the message. Face the fire. And then what do you do with that power? You free the people. I don't know if you are into football, but this year the Philadelphia Eagles fooled everybody. And with a backup quarterback, won the Super Bowl. Maybe God had something to do with that. The Philadelphia Eagles, for a number of years, have been called the most spiritual team in the NFL. 
Players who've been there for a while said their, their lives were transformed there. They do Bible studies all the time. Trey Burton says, we love the word. We could talk about it all day long. And if you know that, that's a quote from Psalm 119. But it also describes the core of the Philadelphia Eagles team. Uh, they're facing the fire and they're freeing the people. This is before one of their football games. And their witness to their teammates, they have brought many of their teammates to Jesus Christ and baptized them. And by the way, if you have never accepted Jesus and been baptized because you believe Jesus is God, because you're turning from your life of sin, because you've, you want to live in the consuming fire, I wouldn't delay. None of us has a promise that we'll be alive tomorrow. If you know Jesus is God, you should do as this man did. Carson Wentz says, the Bible is really the secret to life. If you're not rooted in God's word, this world will eat you up. Nick Foles, the backup quarterback, is just as on fire as Carson is and gives glory to God for what God does through him. Face the fire. Get in the word, and you will make a difference, an eternal difference in people's life. Like Sylvia Zong, came from communist China, didn't believe in God. Uh, that was unscientific. She had been taught all the way through school, kind of like our schools are doing to us today, here in America. Uh, and not at Pine Haven, thank heavens. <laughs> she came to the United States to get a degree in psychology. And she joined a group of international students that I volunteer with at the University of Nebraska every weekend. And uh, we got to go on a trip to Yellowstone. I got to help lead that trip. And her father, a university professor, you see him behind her. By the way, he's borrowing one of my green uh, rain jackets. And Sylvia's uh, borrowing one of my blue fleeces because they weren't ready for the chilly climb as we were hiking in the Badlands by Dubois, or I think they call it Dubois, Wyoming. Her father was visiting. He's a university professor from China. We did Bible studies every day, and he would never come to our Bible studies. He wasn't going to get brainwashed by facing the fire. We shared the gospel with them. He never accepted Christ. But that September, Sylvia did. Can you see the passion and her joy in Jesus? You know, this is the first step in facing the fire, getting his forgiveness getting his Holy Spirit and starting a life for his glory. And the next year, here are some of her other friends from Communist China on the night they were baptized. Sylvia helped spread the word. It's just the same whether you're a football player, an international student, or just me or you. If you face the fire, God will use you. You will testify his word that you've taken in your heart. And that will change people's life. It will set them free. And this is Malcolm and Alwyn, uh, a band from England. They were party animals and not Christians. 
they started reading the Bible from people who witnessed to them, and they accepted Jesus Christ. And their heroes were the Beatles way back when, and they thought, oh, we got to go tell Paul. we got to go tell Paul. So they actually knocked on Paul's door. Paul ans actually answered, and they shared the gospel with him. I don't think Paul listened. Doesn't sound like it yet. But they faced the fire, and they went out to free the people. Everybody deserves to hear, even famous people, poor people. Face the fire, and then, don't just sit around, free the people. I love Brian Hilgeman. He grew up in a small town in Colorado, went to Cheyenne Wells High School, and his family had no use for God. They lived right next door to the church. And at 13, he started going to church because his friends went there and there were some cute girls at that church. It didn't mean much to Brian. He just went there because his friends were there until his freshman year of high school. And that year, he accepted Jesus Christ. He was baptized and he started a new relationship with God. His sophomore year of high school, he felt God calling him to ministry. God was telling him, free the people. Free the people. He rejected that all through high school. He was very talented athletically, played basketball, football, and his senior year he had a, an, a, a college scholarship to play football at a small college. Everything was paid. He was excellent in sports, but he was also excellent in school. And he was planning on being an engineer. He graduated in May of 2008, signed his letter of intent for Hayes State University, got his scholarship package, had his housing contract, registered for classes, and was all set. But the Lord was still saying, like he said to Moses, like Moses kept coming up with excuses, like Brian, Two weeks later, Spencer Smalley, his youth leader, and his friend called him up. He knew Brian was about to go. He knew Brian felt the call to ministry, and he told him, Brian, you need to pursue something more, something more eternal than engineering or sports management, the two things he was thinking of. Brian said, you're right. I can't be truly happy turning my back on God. <laughs> well, Brian's sudden change of plans two weeks before school started. Just before he was supposed to go to football practices for summer training caused an explosion in his family. Everybody had looked forward to seeing Brian play college ball and the lucrative career that he would have is either a, a engineer or a sports trainer. When they heard he was going to go to a Christian college, they were furious. His grandmother and father, who had said they were going to pay for any other things that he had to pay for, said, we're not going to, we will not throw our money away for a stupid Christian college. They didn't understand. That's our okay, Brian said. My heavenly father will help me pay for school. His grandmother, who gave him a car so he could drive back and forth to their home, took the car back. I'm not giving you a car for that. 
God got Brian through all four years. His freshman year, I presented in a chapel sermon the three promises to all the students and faculty of NCC, and Brian signed up. He started reading the Bible for the first time, to read the whole Bible for the first time in his life. In that year, he brought his brother, his brother's wife, and his mother to Jesus Christ. He baptized them himself. His freshman year, after his freshman year of Bible college. He would call and text his brother who lived a long ways away, talk to him about Jesus. When they accepted Christ, he found him a good church so that they could grow. The next year, his father, when his father drove Brian to this stupid Bible college, he was so ticked off, arguing with him the whole way. When they got there, he put his bags out in the parking lot and wouldn't help Brian carry him up to his room. He just drove off in a huff. <laughs> Brian's a big guy. He had no trouble getting his luggage in. But the second year, Brian baptized his own dad. Brian is a youth minister now in Stillwell, Oklahoma. He, he and his wife, Amanda, who he met on a mission trip up here, have two beautiful boys. So, my question is, wouldn't it be awesome every day? You've been to circuses maybe where people would swallow fire, but it's a trick and they take it back out. How about being immersed in fire every day? Face the fire. Open up his word and say, Lord, I'm ready to do whatever you say. Teach me. Teach me. Face the fire. Accept God's calling to live a life of power and significance. Let your passion, if your passion's football, use it for God, like Carson Wentz and Nick Foles and others do. If your passion is mountain climbing, well, use it for God. Submit every passion. If your passion is golf, if it's chess, make your first passion almighty God, and he will give you a life of power that you will never regret. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you. You have given us hope, a hope of eternal significance dwelling in your presence. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who has never taken you as their Savior, they will do that today. But if there's anyone here who has not put you in the first place in their lives, they don't have your word as their guide each day, they will make these promises because they want you. Use us, Father, for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.